0: The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we are talking to Christopher Gill, a senior product manager at Hilti, Inc., about fastening and corrosive environments and how structural engineers can help to decrease the corrosion of metals used in construction. I'm your co-host, Kara Green.
0: I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. Before we jump in, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the F.E. and P.E. exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, etc. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework, and they believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPIs instructors are very highly rated on student surveys, and they are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. Now, let's jump into our conversation of the week with Chris.
1: Chris, first, welcome to the show. In your own words, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at Hilti? Thanks, Kara, and I'm
2: glad to be here. What my responsibility is, I have a small team here at Hilti, and what we do is basically a product testing and various tests and analyses that we need to do in order to get approval for our products. And when I say approval, I'm talking about things like either UL approvals, FM listings, and also ICC evaluation reports, which is a big thing that we do. In addition to that, we also take data that we have, the test data that we have to publish all our technical manuals and and technical guides. And we also back up uh, some of the other Hilti folks in order to answer some technical questions that come in. So we kind of serve as a, let's say, a high-level technical support specifically for the products that we cover.
0: We wanted to talk to you about the, one of the articles that you wrote in Structure Magazine called uh, Fastening to Steel in Corrosive Environments that talks about technologies that have been developed to address you know, the many causes of corrosion of metals used in construction. What are some of the factors that need to be considered when choosing a fastener in corrosive environments?
2: I enjoyed writing that article. I think a lot of people understand that you need to choose a fastener that's going to be suitable for the conditions that you're fastening in. But I think a lot of times there's kind of different elements of that that you have to consider. You know, a lot of people understand that the fastener itself may need to be made out of some kind of a stainless steel material, but you also have to look at the impacts of the fastener on the material that you're fastening into because a lot of times you know the fastener itself may not corrode, but it might through galvanic corrosion, it might do some kind of corrosion to the actual base material that you're fastening into. Another thing that needs to be considered is that a lot of times if you're fastening, let's say into steel, for instance, if you're fastening carbon steel and you're in a corrosive environment, that steel is likely to be coated. It's either going to be painted, it's going to be hot dip galvanized. And the actual process of making the fastening can sometimes cause some interruption in that coating or the protection that's already on the existing steel. The type of fastener that is used and kind of how that gets installed onto the steel should also be considered. So there's really kind of three considerations. One is erosion resistance of the fastener itself. And again, a lot of times you might be choosing a stainless steel in order to prevent that. And also any kind of galvanic reaction that might happen with the steel that you're fastening into. And then finally, any kind of damage that you might be presenting to the base material when you actually make the fastening.
1: I hadn't really thought too much about how certain metals actually attack each other when water is present until I moved to Houston and worked as a field engineer there. I know that there have been technologies that have been kind of brought up to help mitigate these factors. Can you provide us like an example of one of these technologies that can help? The corrosion of metals and construction?
2: There is a, a fastener type that's out there now that's called blunt tip fastener. And the reason that the fastener has a blunt tip is because, getting to the third point that I talked about before, you don't want to necessarily penetrate through the backside of the steel that you're fastening into. So, let's say, for instance, if you screw into a coated steel, a lot of times by the act of doing that, what you're going to do is you're going to actually damage the backside of the steel. And a lot of people don't think about that, but if you kind of look carefully, if you walk around and look on a project, a lot of times you can see that either a screw or maybe a power actuated fastener, like the ones that Hilti supplies, the act of fastening will actually kind of knock a piece of that coating off the backside of the steel, and then you create a place where corrosion can start. So this blunt tip fastener is actually uh, two different versions that I'm aware of. One is a power actuated fastener, and one is more of a screw-in type fastener. When I say blunt tip, it means that it doesn't have a long sharp tip that will penetrate through the backside. It actually only goes partway into the base steel. So let's say if you have three-eighths inch steel, it might only penetrate a quarter inch into the steel, and then it prevents that um, backside damage from happening to the flange of the steel beam that you're shooting into another thing that this particular type of fastener does is it also during the installation process it actually scrapes off the coating immediately around the fastening area and it leaves it the steel bare. which sounds contradictory to what i was talking about before but the reason that it does that is because the fastener itself also has an integrated washer and that washer has kind of a rubber gasket on it that seals against that area that's been cleaned to prevent any kind of corrosion, local corrosion from happening right in the area of the fastening. So this is a type of fastener that's kind of of new and it's maybe not that well known in the market. It's kind of specialized for corrosive environments. The other thing I didn't mention about the fastener, of course, the fastener itself is also highly corrosion resistant and being a stainless steel fastener.
0: If I'm understanding that correctly, like one of the common mistakes is let's say you're in a corrosive environment and then you specify a powder actuated fastener, you think that it's okay. But if you say you're attaching to a steel beam with that powder actuated fastener, it's basically going to make a weak point in terms of corrosion because it, it chips off that protective layer from that steel beam. And then when rust gets in there and corrosion, it'll that's basically going to be your weak point. But like there are fasteners out there that prevent that but the engineer needs to know about it right
2: exactly and, and you really need to consider you know really what the environment you're working in if it's an environment where it's only mildly corrosive then it might not be that much of a concern or maybe you might want to go with a stainless steel fastener but maybe not one of these blunt tip fasteners that has all these different features that we talked about but uh, just keep in mind that with a stainless fastener If you do get some galvanic corrosion, it's a little bit of a function of sort of how thick the base material is you're shooting into, but if you do get kind of a galvanic cell setup, then the stainless steel fastener itself might survive a long, long time, but you'll get corrosion in the immediate area of the carbon steel that you're fastening into over time, and then the fastener could come loose. So that's why some of these new technologies have been invented.
0: Most of our listeners that are seasoned structural engineers uh, have a general understanding of corrosion and whatnot. But for, I guess, uh, maybe the younger listeners, the students, did you explain exactly why understanding corrosion is so important?
2: I sort of have the hat on of connections because that's what I deal with and I've dealt with for my kind of whole professional career is connections. And if there's going to be any place that's going to be an issue... In terms of corrosion, it's going to be at the connection point, whether it's the kind of fastenings that we're talking about, fastening some kind of a material to steel, or even in some cases, making a connection between steel and concrete. Usually the place that's going to give you the trouble is the connection. Sometimes it's also not going to be so apparent over time that connection is starting to have problems, but obviously from a structural point of view, the last thing you want to do is to see a, a connection fail. You know, if the steel itself is corroding more away from the connection point, it's going to be pretty obvious. But a lot of times the corrosion that happens around a connection point is going to be less obvious. It's going to be maybe smaller, but it's also going to be more critical because you sure don't want that connection to fail over.
1: Yeah. And I guess you could even say that in the connection points, a lot of fasteners even have a small washer. It's harder to pick up like at the actual installation point where let's say the hole is drilled, that washer, there will be a slight gap unless it has that neoprene washer to help keep it watertight, can sometimes hide the corrosion over a long period of time. And that can be really detrimental to the fastening or the connection point. Absolutely. And we talked a little bit about, you know, metal to metal connections. So what about materials touching the fastener? You know, how will this affect corrosion resistance? Because when I was working in Houston, I remember talking with someone about it was like a ladder in Galveston. And if anyone doesn't know where Galveston is, look it up on the map. It's like this little strip of island towards the very bottom of Houston, Texas. And it is like direct salt spray. Like that's all that they get. Your hair gets like super wavy anytime you're out there because that's it's like full on hurricane season, like on the beach, living life type of situation. But I remember that was one of the issues that they had or the concerns that they had was just like an aluminum ladder with carbon steel. And there was a conversation about that. So My question to you is, you know, what about the materials touching the fastener? You know, does this affect corrosion resistance at all?
2: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That's kind of what we were talking about before with the galvanic series. And you probably, even those who haven't been working in the field that long, back in school, you were exposed to the galvanic series. And if you have the presence of moisture and actually when there's salt involved, it makes it even more critical. And you have materials that are separated on some people call the galvanic series. In other words, they're between the two of them, they have a high electrical potential. Then depending on which material is sacrificial and which isn't, they're going to cause a corrosion of the, the sacrificial material. So like I was mentioned before, it might actually not be the fastener itself. It might also be the material that's touching the fastener that that ends up corroding. And I think, you know, you probably especially working down there, you would probably see it a lot. One material that looks completely pristine and then whatever is touching it is just completely destroyed. And that a lot of times is going to be something like aluminum touching carbon steel or carbon steel touching stainless steel. It's actually pretty amazing how aggressive that can be if the two materials are exposed to salt, water, and if they're far apart on the galvanic series.
1: What? What? are like the worst metals to pair. Because when I worked in Houston, I mean, obviously it was like always stainless steel and or aluminum for exterior conditions. But I knew that carbon steel and aluminum were two metals that you had to have some sort of washer or some sort of plastic between the two. Do you have an idea? I mean,
2: without starting to talk about exotic materials on one end or the other. But just in terms of normal materials, that's definitely one of the worst is, is aluminum to carbon steel or even stainless steel to carbon, depending on what kind of stainless steel it is, that can be bad as well. So those are some of the combinations that you should watch out for. Kind of getting back to that fastener design that we talked about before, it's a stainless steel fastener. It can be installed into carbon steel base material. But as we talked about, there's several features of the fastener that kind of mitigate that problem because it does have that sealing washer to prevent the water from getting into that connection. And also, like we talked about before, it it kind of mitigates the problem with damaging the backside of the steel where you might also get some corrosion occurring.
0: What were some of the most common mistakes that you see engineers do in terms of corrosion and fastening? And how can engineers... Decrease the overall corrosion of metals while on the job.
2: Again, it's a situation where I think engineers will say, well, hey, as long as I specify a stainless steel fastener, then I must be covered. And that is not necessarily the case. It's obviously a good idea if there's a concern with corrosion. But first of all, there's different grades of stainless steel. A lot of people are familiar with the kind of the 300 series of stainless, which is fairly corrosion resistant. There's also a 400 series stainless, which really isn't nearly to the same level as the 300 series. But even that aside, if they specify certain grade of stainless steel and then don't pay attention to what the surroundings are, or what it's being connected to, then again, maybe the stainless steel fastener itself will survive fine, but it'll cause problems in the surrounding connection. So that's probably the biggest thing to watch out for in terms of uh, calling out for corrosion-resistant fastening.
0: Like you said, probably the most common thing is, yeah, it's resistant, so let's stainless steel it. It's good. But then I think less attention goes into what you're actually attaching to. It seems like especially for carbon steel, which is most wide flanges or typical beams, that's where you'll probably start running into the trouble because... Water can seep in there, and that's where the weakest part is. Absolutely.
1: For sure. And I think it can even be detrimental. I know me and Matt have had conversations about right now, we're seeing a lot of issues with supply chain management, which means there's a lot of switches happening on the job. And sometimes I think material is not checked, but like, if you think of... Let's say an architect switching out, like maybe a light, a ladder or something for a safety related application towards the tail end of a job because the original spec was not available. I mean, that can even be detrimental if it was a carbon steel anchor or fastener and it's an aluminum ladder now. That could be really impactful for that particular safety related situation. So, It's interesting to think that, you know, you also have to have, is it metallurgy, a metallurgical, (laughs) I don't know if I'm saying that right word, the study of metals. Metallurgy. Yeah, you have to have a little bit of knowledge around that, especially when choosing the materials used, especially in corrosive environments.
2: You mentioned about, you know, switching out and I I was talking before about the difference between 400 series and 300 series stainless. And, you know, they both have stainless after their name, which by the way, is another interesting thing because a lot of people, if they call out for stainless steel, they really expect it to remain like shiny and pristine. And that actually doesn't happen. Like the way stainless works is it forms a passivation layer and you'll see that passivation layer and it will look like maybe it's starting to corrode, but it's actually doing what it's supposed to do by forming the passivation layer. And then if you call out for, or if you call for stainless and you end up getting a 400 series stainless, the 400 series stainless will, will actually exhibit some red rust, even though it's quote unquote stainless steel. And so in terms of switching out, if somebody, if you've called out for a 300 series and somebody says, well, I can only get my hands on 400 series, you got to be real careful about that because there's a big difference.
1: Can you say that word one more time? You said passivity.
0: Passivation. Passivation.
1: I have never heard that before. Have you, Matt?
0: I haven't. The rusting, I didn't know about that. Like stainless steel is supposed to rust. That means it's working.
2: Like a 300 series, the passivation layer won't look like rust so much. It won't be red at all. It'll be kind of a, a white chalky look to it, maybe I would call it. But then again, as I mentioned, the 400 series... Will rust, but that's not, it's doing its job. It's just that it's an inferior grade of steel that you're working with it. So it will actually not as bad as carbon steel, but it will rust over time.
1: That's really interesting. And this actually leads me into another question because I know, and this is a little different. So I'm familiar with stainless steel 316, but there's also a 304. And I asked you a little bit earlier about, you know, some metals do not necessarily mix well. There's two ways to look at it. Some people still look, oh, they're still both a 300 series stainless steel. Are there any issues with mixing 316 and 304?
2: No. If they're touching each other, they would be fine. I don't really know why you would do it unless, like you mentioned, 316 supply chain issue. Because 316 is, under certain conditions, is more resistant than 304. There's just kind of special reasons to use 316. It's also a lot more expensive than 304, so if you don't need 316, then there would be no reason to use it except for, like you mentioned, the supply chain type issue.
1: We have a lot of structural engineers who listen to our channel who obviously costs right now are super high. We had conversations across the board with different people and managing or value engineering certain things is becoming a high priority to manage costs on a project. So that's great information for our engineers that 304 does the job for corrosion resistance. In most cases. Yeah, in most cases. (laughs) So Chris, to end off here, are there any resources available that can help engineers understand more about the corrosion of metals without getting a metallurgical degree?
2: We have a certain treatment of corrosion in our technical manuals with ILTI. We actually have a corrosion handbook that we just recently published that you can find on ILTI's website that goes quite into a lot of detail. It's obviously kind of centered around fashioning because that's what we do. So it doesn't talk about maybe other aspects, but in terms of uh, the different things to consider with corrosion, um, the, our corrosion handbook is a good resource. But on top of that, there's obviously just lots of different resources that you can find out there. Those of you who have been trying to find stuff online if you're like anything else, you need to be a little careful because you might find some information out there that's not entirely credible. So look at the source if you find something on Google, for example. But those are a couple of the resources that you might be able to find.
1: Is that on Hilti online? So hilti.com backslash corrosion.
2: I think if you just go to our search function online and type in corrosion handbook, I think it would come up.
0: Yeah, we'll uh, put that in the, the links to the article and that corrosion handbook. I didn't know about that. That sounds pretty interesting. So I'll give that a read as well. We'll make sure the listeners get links for those as well. Chris, thanks so much for answering all of our questions and providing us those links and resources.
2: Thanks for having me. It's a long complicated topic and as you mentioned, you really can't expect a structural engineer to also be a corrosion expert or a metallurgist, but I hope people will sort of more a little bit more attention to it and then, you know, if they do have a concern, seek out the appropriate resources and make sure that they're calling out for the right thing.
0: Absolutely. And like you mentioned, a lot of these things are with connections. And uh, if you've been in the industry for a while, you know that's probably where your structures are going to fail at the connections and uh, rusting and corrosion, definitely a big part of that. So appreciate you uh, talking about that and giving us some of the ways we can uh, help prevent corrosion. So
2: thanks again, Chris. Thank you. Enjoyed it.
1: I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or any questions you may have. To leave them, please visit StructuralEngineeringChannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 69, as well as any links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all your structural engineering endeavors.
0: The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.